heads uh, and join with me in a word of opening prayer. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for this chance to be in your house. We give you thanks that wherever two or more of us are gathered, there we know you will be. And so, loving God, we pray for you to fill this place and fill this time. Take hold of all of us that we may know your presence and be transformed by it. Loving God, we pray that you make this time holy time, make this ground holy ground, whether we are here in the sanctuary together, whether are joining in online, however we are here. Loving God, may we truly know you. May we be transformed by this encounter with you, that this might be a holy time. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks, certainly, for your presence with us. We give you thanks for the life we can live in you. And God, we give you thanks for your grace. For in your grace, we are set free. In your grace, we live a life of infinite possibility in you. In your grace is the opportunity to let that grace wipe away what was before. And we can step boldly into a new life in you. And so, loving God, so move in our hearts that we can indeed surrender all to you. That we can give it all over to you and not hold anything back. Uh, and God, may we then be so filled with your grace and so filled with your power and so filled with your strength that we can go forth and do mighty things. Because we handed our lives over to you, the surest and safest place that we could put our trust. And God, we also turn to you and know that there is suffering in our lives. There is hurt in our hearts. There are joys and concerns within our hearts this morning. And so, God, we lift those up to you, the ones spoken and unspoken. Certainly, we lift up our dear sister Brandy as she sets forth on this new ministry journey. God, we pray that her ministry may be a blessing to St. James UMC and to Titus UMC as she has been here at Grace Church. We lift up Pastor Emily, uh, who was hospitalized this morning with bleeding issues. God, we give you thanks uh, that she was able to get out of the ER. And God, we pray the doctor's appointments that are coming up, that they may be able to figure out what is going on and may be able to put all things right. We lift up the ongoing coronavirus pandemic and lift up particularly those who are sick and suffering and pray that they may find the help that they need, that they may get well. We also just pray that this may be over, that this disease may be finally driven away, that we may live a more normal life. And God, we know that we do not always live up to you. We do not always do as we should. And so God, we name those things in our heart, even as that is not fun. But we do know that there is joy because in you is that second chance, that next chance, that opportunity to have the slate wiped clean and to walk forth made whole again. And so God, may we carry that, that second chance love, that grace out into the world. That we may be your people, be your hands and feet, doing what you need us to do in the world, that is tell the story of our salvation, that others may come to know it as well. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. I invite the children to come forward uh, for a message prepared just for them. Okay.
Okay. Like this. Go like this. Like this. Cool. Fantastic. Okay. So what do I got? What do I got here? I got like a tower. Right. Okay. So um, it's a pyramid. It's kind of a triangle shape. So what other shape could we uh, make this? Was there another shape we could make this? What other shape should this be? Someone name a shape that we could make. It already is a triangle. So let's try a shape we haven't already made. Oh, that's a good call. What shape we could make? We can make it a square. Let's make it a square. Okay, let's see. I don't know how I don't know how we're gonna go across on the square, but we're gonna figure this out. We're gonna figure this out together. Oh, there you go. I like, I like what you've done. Okay. Yeah. And then what? what? I want to stay up. Okay. Here we go. Oh, so close. Get there. We've got the idea. Oh, oh did it. Yay. Okay, so it's a square. What's another shape we could make it? What do you got? Yeah, we have to lay the cups down. Okay, so let's. Yeah. let's make, okay, let's make a circle, okay? That might be impossible. I don't mean. It, we, it might not be the world's oh, best made, circle. We made a circle. We're getting there. We're getting close. Okay, let's figure it out. So wow. neat, having everything face the right way. Um, someone has trained you well. Okay, there we go. Actually, and we did it. Good job. Yay! Okay, so. Every time we made a new shape, what did we have to do? What did we have to do every time we made a new shape? Break it. We had to break it to make another one. And so sometimes there are things that need to change because they can get better, right? Like we sometimes need to change things in our lives that need to get better. We need to tear down what is there before to let God build something back up. And sometimes that's uncomfortable when someone says, need to change something that can be uncomfortable but that uncomfortable is god working in us to make something new and better pray with me take hands like this your hands clap by your heads close your eyes beautiful you're god. you're god thank you for loving us thank you for jesus thank you for telling us how we need to live love may we have listening to hear you and change what we need to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good job, friends. The scripture this morning comes from the 13th chapter of the gospel according to Mark, verses 1 through 8. As it came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware! That no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he. And they will lead many astray. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is still to come. 
for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, I am from the Gulf Coast. And the Gulf Coast has what I have found to be some of the strangest weather anywhere. Uh, it does not, I've, I've mentioned this before, um, it doesn't have seasons, right? I thought my first grade teacher was nuts um, because we had like the seasons chart in the classroom, right? With the like, the like sunshine for summer and the like fallen leaves. There are no, it's all pine trees, right? There are no falling, not many falling leaves. And then like snowmen for winter. And I was like, yeah, right. There are no snowmen. No one is ever, that's not true, but there's almost never a snowman in Houston, uh, and certainly there wasn't in the mid-90s when I was in elementary school. And then, you know, you have the whatever, the like pollen for spring, and that, Houston gets the pollen, great. But basically, Houston has two seasons. It's summer, which lasts about seven months, and then five months a year that is not summer, and that's it. Two seasons, nothing else. The other thing Houston gets, or that the Gulf Coast gets, and it's just a reality of life there, it's tropical storms and hurricanes. It's just, you know, I drove through a tropical storm on the first time I drove to school in ninth, in whatever that was, 10th grade, um, because they did not cancel school because the power didn't go out. If the power doesn't go out, you just go to school, kid. Uh, it's just raining. But this means that growing up in the Gulf Coast, you get used to the routine of cleaning up after a hurricane. Yeah, you get used to the, like, you know, making sure you have your canned goods and your survival radio and your batteries and flashlight and your storm shelter for before and during. But you also get used to what life looks like immediately following a hurricane. And what life looks like in Houston immediately following a hurricane is like everyone's driveway, driveway covered in drywall that they've mucked out of their house. Once you get past the, and I know we have some folks in the room that did this, once you get past the saving people on, in boats on the freeway stage of the hurricane, you get to the everyone yanks all of the drywall and all of the carpet out of their house and assembles it on their driveway to be picked up. Because odds are, if you are in Houston, that means your house has flooded. And as soon as your house flooded, all of your drywall is null and void. Takes on the water, gets moldy, has to get out of there. And so the thing you do to recover from a hurricane is spend several days systematically destroying your house. The same was true post-Katrina in New Orleans, except it all sat for longer. And so not only did we yank out the drywall, we yanked out most of the tile all of the carpet, a good chunk of the wood floors, most people's appliances, including the fridge goo. If your fridge is sat off for six months um, in a closed environment, it turns to goo. You let that thing open, you unleash the hellfires of the goo. Do not unleash the goo, friends. Don't unleash the goo. I, as one who's been doused in the goo, can never forget the goo. We never again forgot to tape close the fridge. Your food turns to goo, your fridge must be eliminated. And there were sadder things that go on that pile too. Wedding dresses, clothes, scrapbooks, family items, 
family photo albums, anything that took in the water, sat for too long, grew the mold, had to go. You need to recover from a hurricane. You are not going to sit in the wreckage of a destroyed house forever. At some point, life needs to go on. There is this better life on the other side of recovering from the hurricane where your house has walls and floors and furniture. And even if you lost photo albums, you can make new one or learn to digitize them all and then never worry about that again. But the first thing you do is you destroy your house. There's no way around that. Actually, you and your neighbors work together often to systematically rip out the guts of your house and throw it onto your driveway. And there's no way around it. It's a painful process. In order to reach that new life of being recovered from a hurricane, you have to destroy something you worked years or sometimes generations to build. There is that time that was once I stood in a, someone's bathroom with just two claw hammers. I ripped out the entire interior of that bathroom with just two claw hammers over the course of two hours. That would have taken days to build. It was a highly irresponsible way to do it, but no one was paying attention. And all I had was two hammers. That new life requires going through a time of suffering and a time that looks a heck of a lot like destruction. It's not destruction without hope. It's not destruction without a purpose. It's not wanton destruction, but it is destruction. And this is where biblical apocalypses are different from asteroid-based disaster movies. In asteroid-based disaster movies, the asteroid hits and everyone dies. In biblical apocalypses, there is a time of trouble and there is new life on the other side of that time of trouble. Whether you're talking about in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, whether you're talking about any time that Jesus predicts the end times as he is doing here in Mark chapter 13, or whether you're talking about the big one, whether you're talking about Revelation, all of them do involve a time of suffering, and you can make great disaster movies out of it. But there's this thing called new life on the other side of it. And zooming, here, zooming in here in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, Jesus is talking, about, is talking about three things, two of which are going to happen soon, one of which will happen someday. First thing he's doing is he's talking about his own death. He is about to die. It's Mark chapter 13. Mark's only 16 chapters long. We are coming to the end of Mark. And what happens at the end of every gospel? Jesus dies. And then Jesus rises. But Jesus dies. And as a part of this, like, no stone left on stone and uh, wars and tumults and famine, some of that is about predicting his own death. Now, the other side, the birth, after the birth pangs comes the birth, comes new life. But there will be some weirdness for the next little bit because Jesus has to die and they don't know the end of the story and we do. But this is also talking about another thing that happened historically less than a generation after Christ's life, Christ's earthly life. And that is the destruction by the Romans 
of the temple less than 40 years later. That temple that they are worshiping in, that temple that they look at and go, what big buildings they have here, gets knocked over in a war with the Romans in the 70s, and we're probably in the 30s AD at this point. And that was a huge moment of suffering, right? The whole, the whole religion was built around the temple. The whole religious life centered in the temple. You went to Jerusalem for Passover to make a sacrifice at the temple. They were told the temple is literally where God sits. This is like not like God's house in the abstract. We're like, yes, welcome to the house of the Lord. But we don't think like this is the only place that God is. We know this is one of many places. God can be anywhere, wherever two or more are gathered. There God will be. That was not how Second Temple Judaism worked. In Second Temple Judaism, there was one place where God was. It was the temple. Specifically, the inner sanctum of the temple that we talked about last week. That was it. God was only there. You knock over the temple, you've got a real crisis. Also, it happened in the middle of war where a lot of people died. But, also, at that point, what was happening at the temple probably needed to stop because it had largely stopped being about God, had, had become about the wealth of the people claiming to represent God. Yes, Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy lay out what needs to happen at the temple and the kinds of sacrifices. But the priests who lived in the temple realized this is a pretty sweet deal for them. They had a nonstop meat buffet being delivered to them every day on the backs of very poor people. Bulls and goats and sheep and doves and grain and drink all getting dropped off on their doorstep and ritually sacrificed, and they were allowed to eat the best parts of it. In a world where a lot of people went hungry every day, they were dining on steak every single night. On top of that, a lot of the wealth of the people flowed into the temple because people were giving it to God. But that ended up being to the priests, and they got the best robes, and they got the best parties, and whatever. They got to go to Acapulco and stuff. All that things, all those things, all the places. And then they realized that was such a sweet deal. Why would, why would they stop? And so when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, I know this is jumping forward a few weeks. Christmas is coming. We're going to talk about this again. I'm sorry. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the, house, in the city of David, and the wise men come to Herod, and the priests find out what's going on. They don't, they don't praise God, right? They try to, they try to cover, cover that stuff up, even though they would have known. When Jesus gets arrested by them and put on trial by them, and as they interview him personally, they realize, the temple hierarchy realizes, oh yeah, no, this guy's from God. And what do they do? They kill him. Actually, specifically, they side with the Romans, who are the actual bad guys in this story, to have Jesus killed. So they're not sticking up for God's people. They're not using the wealth they've accumulated to help God's people. They're eating the best steak in the house every night. 
And when God shows up as a revelation, they have him killed. So, you know, the temple probably needed to go away. Because it was no longer serving God's purpose. It's not that God never used the temple. It's more that they had let in that, like, human love of money, love of power, love of prestige stuff sink in a little too deep over the course of 600 years. And Christ came to upend all of it. And by willingly dying on a cross, by letting him capture them, by letting them capture him, by letting them beat him, by letting them put him on show trial, by letting them kill him, he upended the need for them at all. And said every human heart can be the temple of God. And everyone can seek God at any moment. And everyone can have forgiveness by the power of God's grace and God's grace alone. No sacrifices, no bulls, doves, sheep, goats, grain, drink needed. None of it. Christ upended the world. But that wasn't easy. There was that time when he was dead, and that was really scary and really tumultuous. There was that time that the temple fell to the Romans, and that was scary. That was tumultuous. On the other side of all that is grace and peace and joy and the kingdom of God reaching, rather than like a million people in one small country, reaching two billion people around the world. So much came out of that. But the description... In today's scripture, in verses 7, excuse me, 7, 7 through 9, it's scary. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. I have never given birth to somebody. I've been present for some, though. It's scary. It's tumultuous. And out of it comes new life. Humans hate change. We hate it. Because the thing we, we sometimes like might be on the other side of that change, maybe. But we don't like that tumultuous period where we haven't sorted out things, when things are unsettled. We want things to be settled. My favorite Irish curse is, may you live in interesting times, because naturally we don't want interesting times. We want the sun to rise and the sun set. We want to eat the same thing for breakfast every day. We want a nice, easy life where nothing much happens. And change gets in the way of that. And biblical apocalypses, which are the biggest form of change out there, get in the way of that. Because there's this tumultuous time of wars and famines and fighting and tumult. But the book of Revelation doesn't end with everyone dead. It ends with a new Jerusalem coming down and all being set right. Friends. I don't know about you, 
But I think this world needs to change. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at the world and I go, that's bad. There's some bad stuff happening. We can debate what that bad stuff is all day long, and that's what cable news is for. But we can all agree on the top line, there's some bad stuff out there. It doesn't always look the way I want it to be. It looks like tumults and rumors of wars and famines and coronaviruses and all kinds of stuff. It looks bad and scary. And I don't know about you, but there's also some stuff I need to change in my own life that I don't like the thought of. It's going to sound like it's going to be hard and tumultuous and might upend some things. In all of those cases, as was true on the Saturday night before Easter morning, God is on the other side of that time. Things look pretty bad Saturday night of Easter, uh, Saturday night before Easter morning, right? Jesus is dead. He's been dead for a couple days now. He probably stinketh. Looks pretty bad. Looks pretty bleak. You don't know where your friends are because everyone's scattered. You wander your way back into the upper room and you probably don't want to look at each other in the eye because everyone knows what they did. And everyone knows they abandoned Jesus. And also Jesus is dead. But just on the other side of that tumult was Sunday morning. Christ rose from the dead, unleashed God's grace in the world. When the temple fell, God didn't leave the world. God reached more people than ever because the Holy Spirit was present in the world and the temple wasn't needed anymore. And yes, it fell because it needed to fall. And yeah, that was tumultuous. But the other side of it is the church. It's millions and billions of people being reached for God. And on the other side of our current tumult, I don't know for how long. The Bible tells me no one knows the day nor the hour. All that ever tells me, if someone knows the day, it's nothing. It's the thing I know about apocalypses. They never come on your time. They only come on God's time. And so someday it will come to an end. How long? Don't know. Everyone for the past five generations said, sure looks like the end times out here, to which God went, ha, 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 If you did not read Matthew 13 closely enough, there will be wars and rumors of war. There will be tumults and famines and diseases. But we can have hope that the other side of this is new life, is God's grace made manifest in ways we can only imagine. It's Christ coming in final victory and us feasting at that heavenly banquet when the new Jerusalem descends and all is well. The message of most apocalypses in the Bible is not give up and go home. The actual message of most apocalypses is the message of what Jesus gives us here. Don't worry about it. And don't be led astray. The most common phrase in Revelation is, hold on. It's going to be all right. It doesn't look like it right now. There's like this beast, and he has all kinds of eyes, and he's got eyes in places you shouldn't have eyes. So many eyes. A lot of eye stuff. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. 
God's grace is. Let us pray. Gracious living God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are here with us. We give you thanks that you will be victorious and you are victorious. You already were victorious. Loving God, may we have faith in that victory. May we have faith to hold on, to not fear the tumult in between, but keep our eyes on your heavenly prize. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. To grab the hands of the people around you as we form one united body in Christ, for indeed, by God's Spirit, that is what we are. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Hold on and hold on and hold on. There is new life and grace yes, for us all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.